David Simons joined Learning Officer Tom Goddard in conversation to discuss his residency and practice, recorded in February 2015. Okay, let's let's begin by talking about your childhood. Let's talk about the, the young Alice Simons. Tell me about what you were interested in and what kind of child you were. Well, I was a lot shorter, it's a Ronnie Barker joke. <laughs> I was quite uh, I was quite shy, believe it or not, quite a shy kid, kind of kind of introverted, not super introverted, but I wouldn't really liven up until I really knew people who felt comfortable. Mm -hmm. From quite a small village with not a lot happening, small village called Nelson, with one of its only claims to fame being there's got one of two hundred year old handball courts in all of Europe or something. So it's famous for a big old wall, basically. Brilliant. One of my favourite things to do was or most noted in the family was probably to dance naked. Uh, jump from my grandparents' sofas, completely start naked, to either, it was either Cliff Richard and the Young Ones Living Doll, or Lady in Red, those are my two main influences to getting naked. I think, yeah, I was quite a fastidious kid with my room and my things, and I always wanted, like, you know the sort of bedroom you see in, like, Ferris Bueller's Day Off and stuff, that kind of, there's always a stop sign, road signs and cool stuff everywhere, I, I and a basketball hoop. I always wanted one of those rooms and never kind of had one. I like painted my own American style stop sign and stuff to put up. And I had like some shelves by the bed, which was sort of my pride and joy. I had all sorts of crap on there. And if my brother, who was like six years younger than me, if he touched anything, I'd know if it moved an inch and would like kick off. I think that's my earliest anger issues stemmed from, <laughs> possibly. What things were you collecting? Well, there would be sort of Ghostbusters and Simpsons figures. There was sort of detritus that would kind of, kind of be family detritus, stuff I'd find in the attic and want to hang on to, like my uncle's collection of... I had a football team figurines and a brass band of gollywog figurines, which I think <coughs> they've been destroyed now, obviously. Like, probably lots of, like, model stuff. What's that, you know, feet? Do you remember Fimo? It's not, it wasn't on the shelf, but things like I had a lot of homemade like posters. I remember drawing my own Queen poster because I didn't have a poster, but I wanted to be... This was probably pre-teen, so I wanted to be quite teenage then, if you see what I mean. In your work, there is this sense of collecting, in it, whether that's a tangible thing with objects, that a musical arrangement or as backdrops, there's, there's this tangible kind of collecting of things. And then there's also a sort of psychological collecting of things that, that kind of just sort of is obviously an accumulation of a life but it's about this kind of consumption this kind of digestion this sort of oozing out into a sort of a pictorial place you know into this yeah. sort of frame and you know, that's and it's a kind of a perpetual motion thing it's this continuously sort of transforming image in front of you yeah um, do you think of yourself as that kind of maybe hunter gatherer Kind of that creative, you know, are you conscious of yourself doing that in, in terms of that, that, that way of collecting? Is that something that is almost just on all of the time? I, I think that is a universal principle, really, or a universal thing. I think everyone does that. Everyone is sort of imprinted by or touched on things they see, things they've owned. Or, like you say, it is a life, but I think 
when it comes down to creativity in terms of that and, and uh, art, I suppose it comes down to an, an awareness, and I'm not saying hyperly aware, but as in an awareness to use it or to point at things or to bring things together. Like I've always liked the idea of certain objects being imbued with previous lives or previous owners or previous history or things even the objects have seen or people who have read a book. But bringing, say, a few of these objects together creates this sort of universal kind of singularity, which is almost a non-space. It's kind of everything and everyone, but also no one and nothing. So I'm quite interested in that space, whether it exists or doesn't exist. In, in your work, there is a, a pushing of, of a kind of boundary with the things that you're, that you're offering. Maybe there's a testing of what you can do or can get away with. You know, are you considering an audience? Because the sort of personas and stuff, if we're talking about Johnny Toppins, for instance, and things like that, it's very difficult, I think, because he is almost an amalgamation of things I've seen, you know, watching like Dirty Northern Comedians as a kid or whatever, these sort of things. I'm just kind of going with the creative process of inhabiting that person, if you so see what, what I mean. So what type of Northern Comedians? Jim Bowen kind of... Yeah, well, like, who was the guy who spit the dog and stuff like that? And Bob people like that. And yeah, that's him. And, like, Rod Hull and Orville and... Who all seemed to sort of car crash into quiz shows, didn't they? Yeah, or car crash onto a dirtier circuit, doesn't yeah. it? Like, Keith Harris was, like, making Orville tell dirty jokes to students or something. Yeah. You say talking about the audience and whether it, that's a consideration. I think it's quite difficult for me, like because the events were titled like "Meet Johnny Toppins." It was sort of the audience were meeting him, fine, yeah. But I think I was sort of meeting him as well because I'd never done a performance inhabiting Johnny for that long, and I didn't really know what was going to happen or you know what the outcomes would be or how the, what I sort of knew how the audience would react, and that sort of fine. But at the same time there was always going to be the outcome of videos and therefore the editing process was another period of meeting Johnny as well. So in that essence, I didn't really care what the audience thought really because whether I ran out of material or jokes didn't work or whether I had any material to begin with, it didn't really matter because I knew I was going to edit it and I'd end up with something mm -hmm. and also I'd gone through the process anyway. So those are the two important things. Mm -hmm. So the audience kind of, it's important that they're there but I don't really care. So, and that's, 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 that's really interesting, that performance then, you will be able to direct that narrative in any which way you want. And if you know, if you get the five or 10 or 20 images that mm. you need out of that, exactly, or yeah. images out of that, then it's fine. Can you talk about the idea of the sort of length of performance, like you know, working on like a performance that you know, is an hour long, 40 minutes long, or performance musically that's a number of, of songs, but then, your, your videos are very short, they're very... You know, can you talk about you know, that, that idea of it being in a different media? You know? Yeah, well, I think like artists are of a certain generation, possibly of a certain sensibility. These days are kind of inevitably working with the modern media, but also in the kind of sensibilities the modern media brings, as in quite short, quite snappy, like attention spans are down, you know what I mean? Like, I notice it in myself since the advent of an iPhone. I find it much more difficult to concentrate on a book or something, you know what I mean? I have to switch it off or put it away. Like, Johnny Toppins came from, like, making vines, making short, punchy, like, stupid 
videos, but in a way, it's quite an interesting way to work creative, creatively anyway. It's quite free. Yeah, it's quite free, but it's also like one spark mm. that you can sort of leave, and then maybe another one. Yeah, you yeah. know, those combined, like talking about combining again, mm-hmm. can often come together and make a whole, like in a singularity, or maybe it could come together and make, you know, nothing. Um, so what about you as a student, how Alan Simons researched something? If we talk about, yeah, we're talking about process and research. Mm-hmm. If we take sort of the post-apocalyptic mm-hmm. 80s cover band, which is mine and Tim's, Thing, Barry Hole, Barry Hole's hit this presents. Okay, for instance, during this residency, I created these pyramid hats purely as kind of a prop for the sort the Bangle song "Walk Like an Egyptian." So I made started making these things and was quite interested by this this object, and obviously sort of felt references to like the rock band like Devo and stuff. You know, I thought there's something in this, so we just started looking at other. Hats, <laughs> really, or odd, odd-shaped hats, mm. which led me to this website which sells um, kind of uh, steel-pronged pyramid hats, which claim to increase concentration, mm-hmm. um, to help blood flow, various other things, and they were coated in like gold and silver, but also coated in orgone. Which I wasn't 100% what Orgone was. I kind of took for granted that maybe it was on the periodic table and existed. Mm-hmm. But of course, it isn't. It's, a, it's a, an invention, shall we say, by uh, Wilhelm Reich, the kind of Austrian pseudoscientist. Um, so I was quite interested by, well, I'm quite interested in, in pseudoscience anyway. He seemed like a real, I want to say crackpot, but I mean, Freud was interested in his work and Einstein was interested in his research into this radiation which is organ which is essentially a radiation which is present in all living things you know human and plants etc um and he had like absolute delusions of grandeur and the fbi were really suspicious of his work i mean he was kind of had a sexual kind of bent but wasn't necessarily he thought he could cure cancer he thought he could cure diseases by targeting blockages of bions, as he called them, of organ in our bodies. So we would therefore never be diseased and probably be a lot freer sexually as well. Um, so he made um, organ accumulators. You'll see that there's a slide in the Welcome Collection. of It's essentially a cupboard that you sit in, but it's made of like organic matter and steel, and you sit in it, and organ is accumulated, and you come out and you maybe feel better. Well, William Burroughs, his character in on the road, he jumps out and is like, he, he wants a whore the moment he leaves one of those boxes, apparently. But like, Ballard had one, Kirk Cobain used one, apparently. So yeah, but he, I just find him incredibly interesting. Like, uh, so yeah, those hats, making a cardboard hat <coughs> led me down this route. And if, like we were talking about practices, this different way of, you start somewhere and end up somewhere completely different, you know? Like I, I would really want to do something with or maybe make an organ accumulator now because his son uh, Peter, who Kate Bush plays his son Peter in the video to Cloud Busting, um, and also Dennis Sutherland plays Wilhelm Wright. But Peter had to destroy loads of organ accumulators with an axe because the FBI ordered the destruction of them and burnt loads of his. Any book that mentioned organ had to be destroyed, you know, so I'd quite like to build a, 
all got accumulated dress as Kate Bush dressed as Peter and destroy them with an axe. <laughs> so what about when you sort of, if you just talk about that kind of research process and mm. having that idea, when does that idea sort of come? Does that tend to come during the research, before the research, after? I tend to find way? that sort of decisions you make, like if you have a real simple idea, it can be as much as a one-liner sort of mm. thing, and you make something flippantly, and obviously you make kind of quick snap aesthetic decisions or something like that. I find it tends to lead you down some form of other line of research, which will often make the first thing kind of null and void, and you discard it completely and begin a whole new process. You know, oh, it can be really cyclical. It might come back round to what you initially thought of. You know, you know I mean, above all, the concept is really important, yeah, yeah. but I think the concept doesn't always come before a work. If you see what I mean, I don't necessarily think. I think it can lead you down a, a certain path. But it's sort of like with writing music, you know, what comes first, you know, the instrumentation or the lyrics, you know, and I think it works both ways. This is the organ. Yeah, that's the organ accumulated. Yeah. In the Welcome Collection in London, and you're allowed to go and sit in it, which is pretty nice. How did you feel? It's quite, it felt like a bit of a vacuum, actually. You know, it felt quite silent. But I don't understand why they have a window. And everyone I've seen, they always have windows. That seems a bit strange. There's all sorts of mental um, equipment associated with it, because there's a guy in a kind of odd... Not quite pyramid, but conical hat. It's not on here, but online. And this kind of box with a... I think it's just got all going in it. And that's what Devo's hats are, which I didn't read. Devo's hats are energy domes. And they're designed to catch the all going the way it all emitting as it comes back down or something. So what about this idea of um, impersonation? Maybe the, the idea of, of our generation, then, due to the advent of recording devices and all sorts of different ways and means, has meant that... Very little is, is ever forgotten now. Everything is kind of can be recorded. And you could say that that means that it's harder to access the original. You're, you're often dealing with a, a copy of a copy, or you know, we could say that it's about a sort of impersonation of an impersonation of something remembered. You know, can you talk about that idea of you sort of inhabiting a character? Yeah. Well, I think it comes down to this idea of collection once yeah. again, but also like you say, an impression of an impression or the idea of repetition as well, kind of... Um, like, I feel Johnny Toppins has got this sort of... Like, like as a kid, I would listen to my dad tell jokes that were for adults, but not necessarily dirty adult jokes, but as in adult content that I didn't understand. But I would repeat these jokes or one-liners when someone would say something, it's like, oh, that's how you're supposed to respond to that. And, like parents at birthday parties would be like, what's wrong with him, why is he saying that? Um, but things like, yeah, like schoolyard impressions, like we were saying the other day, about sort of when you see someone doing an impersonation of like Marlon Brando as the godfather, they're doing an impression of probably someone else they've seen doing an impression of Marlon Brando of the godfather, who was probably doing an impression of someone he saw on TV doing an impression of the godfather. They probably haven't actually seen the film maybe even, yeah. you know what I mean? It becomes this thing. And I think repetition, well, repetition is really important in art and comedy, isn't it? I mean, you repeat something enough, it becomes funny. Repeat something a bit more, it becomes hilarious. And then repeat it a bit more, and it just becomes ridiculous and sort of pointless. And So like, once again, it becomes, it goes from everything to nothing in that simple like repetition, you know, like looking at things like, like clown torture, mm -hmm. you know, Bruce Nauman's like sort of, 
kind of disgusting take on the or different different personas of clowns as well. But that like, constant sort of, you know, trousers falling down and just sort of, you know, just becomes um, grotesque, really, like, or even more grotesque, I think. And it's interesting that line. That line is really important. That, that that's the, to the point could yeah, be, that, that's incredibly profound. Then you go a little bit further and it's like, it's not profound anymore. No, exactly. But then it might become, it'll probably become profound again, you know, so yeah, it all well, goes back to... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What about um, moving your practice here to the YMCA and, and sort of having an open door policy and kind of working with the studio? How's, how's that kind of affecting things? Because you've done a number of events, you know, yeah. toppings, as well as the monks event. Um, you know, can you talk a little bit about that now? Like I was saying earlier, I haven't, I've never been toppings for that long. Mm. So, working up to a point where I have to do this, and I've invited people to come to the studio to do it. Mm -hmm. I think there's, for me, I sort of wanted to use the studio in a different way anyway. I didn't want an open studio that was just like every other open studio you go to anyway. Because yeah. yeah. they're all pretty standard, you know, not everywhere, but mostly. So I wanted, yeah, working towards these events was quite strange, you know, become, becoming a host, you know, though, how are you supposed to host when you're sort of trying to inhabit persona or that you don't really understand yourself? So I think that was really interesting. And then doing things like the monks thing was great because they're kind of all about transformation or like image manipulation. Can you talk a little bit about the monks so um, if people ha weren't there? I think everyone here knows about yeah, this. The monks were. The monks were fi a five-piece, well, five American GIs stationed in Germany, either in the Korean War or the Vietnam War, I'm not sure, I think it might be the Korean War, stationed in Germany, stayed there, formed a kind of a rock and roll standards band called the Five Talkies, and sort of milled around playing bars and stuff. Got taken on under the wing by these two German guys who were part of an art house, and they took over the management of them, but more than that, they sort of focused them. They gave them a manifesto and focused the music more, like just make it more, more simple, more repetitive, less notes, less words, you know, but also how they dress. You know, you must always wear black. You must shave a tonsure into your head. You know, you must always be a monk, you know, or is it fast, sexy, and whatever, not only on the stage, but on the street. You know, you must always be this. And it, it's just quite interesting because it's sort of parallel with the Beatles, for instance. You know, they, had, they were kind of styled, but you wouldn't know that. Whereas these guys talk about the manifesto as if it was a great time, you know, though short-lived. And while the Beatles are singing, you know, she loves you, they're singing, I hate you. Literally, they were singing, I hate you, but call me. <laughs> yeah, so opening the studio up for that sort of thing, you know, for, in one part, inhabiting a transformative yeah, yeah, yeah. persona, and on the other hand, kind of, I don't want to use it to educate in so much, but maybe op opening it was, eyes. It was a performance lecture, really. It was, you know, in, you know, you were imparting the knowledge about this thing, and it fitted, it fits with your practice. Yeah, you yeah, know, so that was, it. but it's an excellent space to do that, you know, and once again, it was a, I enjoyed using a studio in that way. I have yeah. no way of doing that otherwise. And also we had the Barry Hole stuff there, which we haven't had a practice space for years, so or a couple of years. So that was really good in terms of 
inviting people in to sit in while we practice you know that's not something we've done before you don't often have it wasn't a gig so much because that's where we were practicing and where we've been inhabiting for these yeah. two months so that was really a really interesting process as well for people to come in while you just do what you normally do as opposed to put on a show I heard that um, that was the end of Barry Hall is that true? That yeah we heard that too a whisper. <laughs> but Barry wasn't there because he's never at any of our gigs but um, he doesn't return any of my emails anymore <laughs> he's, he's not very good at emails anymore. postcards and Thank you, Alex.